it's a lot of fun to come and speak with you this morning, and I got we got some special folks that are with us here this morning. I'm going to um, pick on them. Uh, you know, it's it's a special blessing for me to um, have a very dear friend of mine. I hope you all have relationships with people that, you know, sometimes you don't get to see each other for a great long time, but when you do, it's like zero time, no time has passed, and then you get back together and you're catching up. Well, one of the, I went to seminary in Dallas, Texas, and... Um, we moved there from Arizona. Well, I had a friend of mine that moved there from Missouri. Missouri I mean, Missouri. Um, Missouri. And uh, the first week of seminary, I remember linking up with this guy. We just were kind of, I don't know, kindred spirits, if you will. And uh, we just really drew close to each other. We spent four years of seminary together at Dallas. And his family going through a lot of things. My family going through a lot of things. We were just there for each other. Um, and he is now a Air Force chaplain, I know it's Air Force, but it's it's still a branch of the military. We 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 question it, but um, where's Paul McNally at? There's Paul. Paul, raise your hand. Paul's not the guy, but 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 um, there's there's the guy. So so Jeff, would you say hi? Hi, this is Jeff. Um, very very dear friend, and so we've been up late the last two nights, like rehearsing the last nine years of our lives. But it's been absolutely amazing. Thank you for coming, brother. It's been so refreshing. Um, and we have another special person that's here with us. He's going to be here with us for a while. Um, I don't mean to pick on him, and he's probably like, please don't mention me, and please don't embarrass me. But um, we have spent the last month and a half talking about family and what it is to be family, and that God's in the business of redeeming family relationships. But we've got a very powerful example of that here this morning. Um, Jeffrey and Jeffrey, would you guys be willing to stand up? Is he, I know I'm putting you on the spot, man, but would you be willing to stand up? Um, I'd like you to introduce you, Jeffrey's oldest son, um, Jeffrey. Thanks for being here with us. Thanks, man. And so, um, just amazing time to have him here and um, God drawing them close together again in the father-son relationship. And I'm telling you what, God, God is at work. And I just... I can't proclaim this enough. God is doing so many things um, in our valley. And it's also a tough time in our valley as we are facing a lot of different things going on. Drug overdoses. A young gentleman, Angel, fell off of his longboard and broke his skull in five different places in critical condition at Harborview right now. Um, there's just, there's just a, a heaviness um, as our valley is going through a lot of things. Um, but because of who Christ is, we get to be a people in this valley right here, right now, that even in the midst of these hard moments and suffering and, and things that we're going through, we get to bring peace and hope. And I'm really excited to share with you this morning that about our Savior, Jesus Christ, and who He is. Because sometimes we grow up with the misunderstanding of who He is and the misunderstanding of why He came. And This morning's passage in Matthew chapter 21, this passage is called um, the Triumphal Entry. You may see it in, as a heading on your, in, one, in some of your Bibles. Um, it's a pretty important passage, so important that in all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four Gospels contain an account of the triumphal entry, the entry, the final entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem where we, it's pre- it prepares us, it's leaning forward to what's going to take place. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to die for the sins of his children and rise again on the third day. But this is the moment where in which we are turning our eyes towards Jerusalem or turning our eyes towards these events that are going to come. But this event is so significant, like I said, that it's in all four gospel accounts. 
When we see something like that in Scripture, when we see a repetition like that, it should draw our attention and it should cause us to go, why is this so important? Matthew's readers needed to know about it. Luke's readers needed to know about it. Mark's readers needed to know about it. John's readers needed to know about it. So it's pretty much a guaranteed thing that God wanted us to have a very clear understanding of this passage of Scripture, of the entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. So we're going to dive into it this morning. And my heart and my prayer for us as we go into this, sometimes when we dive into passages maybe we're familiar with, um, we struggle to apply it new, apply it fresh. And I just pray that the Spirit powerfully convicts our hearts this morning. Um, I had the blessing and privilege of going to pastor school again this week. And um, some of you probably don't even know the guy, Steve Timmis. No, not many folks know him. If you've ever read Total Church, um, he came and, and he spoke to us. And he had, he's from England, so you know he has a British accent. So all British people sound more intelligent than Americans. I'm sorry, they what? just do. I mean, they just do. I'm sorry. He's sitting there. I mean, tell me, is it true, Jeffrey? I mean, he gets up and he starts talking. And you're just like, you know. I know nothing. Oh, okay. And, and so it was just, you know, a great time together of just sitting there and learning. And the topic for the pastor school this week was spiritual maturity, being mature leaders. What does that look like? And he walked us through 2 Corinthians. Second day, sitting there, and he told us to shut down our computers, shut down our phones, because, you know, we're a bunch of all type A personalities in there trying to grasp every word he said. And he's like, shut it all down. I just want you to listen. He began speaking and talking and sharing with us First or Second Corinthians 12. By the time he finished, I'm, almost every single man in that room was weeping. Tears just flowing down their faces. You see, Second Corinthians 12 is a rebuke. Paul is rebuking the Corinthian church. Arrogance, pride, they, they, they are... These, these people snuck in the doors and were leading them away from it. It's a false gospel, leading them away from the truth of Jesus Christ. And they were following them. And he's come to just, with a very firm hand, set them straight. And we we're just crying and weeping as we, in our hearts, felt this loving rebuke from Paul from, from the very throne of God as these are his, his words for us. Where in our lives have we started to go astray? Where in our lives have we not followed the true king? And it was so refreshing. And that's, that's the beauty of God. He convicts our hearts, and through his conviction, when we repent and we confess, it's like we're washed and we're made new. And so my prayer for us this morning is that the Spirit would powerfully convict our hearts as we properly understand our King, Jesus. And may our hearts be washed this morning and just made new and, and be excited as we enter into this incredible week, this Passion Week with Jesus. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, I, I thank you for this opportunity for us to get together, to spend this time together, and just enjoy your word. I just pray we would enjoy your word this morning. We would relish in it. We would just savor it. We would chew on it. It's the hard things that we love studying and, and applying it to our life. And Lord, may this be a safe place where conviction can take place. And hearts can be broken for you. In Jesus' name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, and he does so very uniquely. 
There, there are some things that as we look at this story, we see that as Jesus enters Jerusalem, there's a story that's long been foretold. There's this strange, weird, peculiar way in which Jesus goes into Jerusalem. And then there's this understanding that he's an uncommon king. He's so uncommon that as my sermon chat team was sitting together, Jeffrey and Glenn and I, and we were sitting there, and we kept trying to come up with a good analogy, a good imagery, a good movie, a good thing from history that we could place in context here and to help give you a little bit more understanding of this triumphal entry and give you a better picture. And the more we tried, the more we realized we were failing. Well, this doesn't work. That doesn't work. Well, this has the wrong application. That doesn't make This takes us in. And every time we tried to do it, it was like, this is so unique. This story is so unique and peculiar that I can't give you this image except for the image of Jesus Christ this morning. Okay? So as we walk through this, I hope that as we paint this picture and this beautiful tapestry and this narrative of Jesus Christ entering into Jerusalem and this understanding of what he was trying to convey to everyone of who he'd come, who he was and why he'd come. So a story long foretold um, in Zechariah. Zechariah is one of those books in the Old Testament, and he's one of the prophets, okay? And it's called a minor prophet. It's not because he, wasn't, he didn't do a powerful work for God. It's just his book is smaller, and he doesn't, it wasn't as well-known. And so he's a part of the minor prophets in Zechariah. And in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it reads this. Now, you can understand, Zechariah was written approximately five times hundred years before the time of Christ. Five hundred years. Now America is how old? Oh boy. Oh no. Okay, two forty one. Alright. So America is two hundred and forty one years. So double the length that we have even been a nation. Double that time. Double the length that we have even been a nation. Zechariah prophesies that this event is going to take place. And he says in Zechariah 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Rejoice, and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That's a pretty good description of what Samantha just read, isn't it? That's pretty amazing. Here it is, 500 years before this event happens, taking place. Here it is, written for us to understand that these events were to take place in fulfillment of Scripture. This was a preordained plan that God had established for His people. These things were written so that they, as they happened, they might remember the prophecies of old and get very excited about this king that was coming. So as the prophecies are starting to be fulfilled, as you remember John the Baptist, John the Baptist was the one that went before Jesus Christ and proclaimed that the king was coming. And he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why was it at hand? Because the king, Jesus Christ, had been born and entered into the world and began beginning his ministry. And, and John the Baptist was teaching, was preaching, was suffering for the cause and the sake of Jesus Christ. But there reached this point when John the Baptist was in prison that he's like, crisis moment. And he sends his disciples, he sends his followers to Jesus and says to Jesus, hey, are you really the Christ? Are you really the promised one? Are you the really one that the Old Testament prophecies were telling us about? Because, you know, I'm in prison. Things aren't looking good for me. I'd really like to know. Great, honest question from John the Baptist. Don't knock him for it. 
It was a great question. He was wanting to confirm who Jesus Christ was, and Jesus answers it beautifully. Jesus says, hey, you remember those Old Testament prophecies that talked about the blind seeing, the mute talking, the lame walking? And that when you saw those things taking place and happening, it meant that the kingdom was coming and was present. Well, Jesus Christ had been doing all those things. And so he tells John the Baptist's disciples, hey, the blind are walking, or the blind are walking, wow. The blame are walking, the blind are seeing, the mute are speaking, right? Wow. Shouldn't have had that extra cup of coffee this morning. And, and these things are taking place as evidence, too, that I am fulfilling the prophecies of old. And so you can be confident that I am the promised one. I am the king. And the king has come. As these folks were seeing the prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus Christ, they got excited. But why? Why right now? Why at this time? What was going on that stirred the crowd to a fervor with excitement, with anticipation, with drawing them out, drawing them out of their houses to the roadway where Jesus is coming? What was it that prompted this event? And John were given that clue. In the Gospel of John, it tells them that the reason the crowds had gathered was because of the resurrection of Lazarus. You see, Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, and Martha and Mary were his sisters. A couple weeks ago, when we were talking about grieving as a family well, we talked about Mary and Martha and how Jesus comforted them and Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus was, or Lazarus was in the grave four days. Now, we could probably invite some of our medical people up here and describe to us in detail what happens to the body after four days of being in the ground, okay? It starts to decompose. In fact, you got Martha making this statement when Jesus says, roll the stone away. Please don't do that, Jesus, because it's going to stink if you roll that stone back. Jesus raised him from the dead as if he'd only been asleep those four days. Jesus raises him from the dead, and people are excited. This, nothing like this had been seen in all of Jerusalem and all of Israel. Somebody dead for four days and brought back to life. Only the promised one could do that. So all of these things taking place, the prophecies of the Old Testament being fulfilled in Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples being told about Jesus' miracles, the resurrection of Lazarus, people are getting excited about the possibilities of who Jesus Christ could be. And they are amped up and they are running to this roadway to welcome him in because guess what they're thinking in their mind the king is coming as a conquering king into jerusalem to take back the capital to take back what god had promised and said that was going to be theirs one day and so they are getting very excited lining the roadways and their actions begin to speak of this excitement but you've got this strange procession First off, you have Jesus exemplifying himself as the greatest prophet ever. He's showing that not only he is in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, but he's the one that tells his disciples, hey, let me tell you something. If you go to this person's house, out in front of their house, it's going to be a donkey and a colt, okay? an un- 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 unridden, unbroken colt. Sitting out in front, go up to the house, untie the donkeys, and if anybody says anything to you, just say, hey, the Lord's... The Lord's got use for these. The Lord has need for these. And they'll just give them to you. Now, that's a little odd for us. I mean, how many of you, if I, if I, and I'm not proclaiming to be the Lord, so don't take any equality here, you know, don't, don't do that. But um, if I told you, you know, your neighbor's got a Bentley, okay? 
and, and, and I would like to drive the Bentley to Wenatchee tomorrow. So you just go kindly ask your neighbor for the keys. And when they ask you, why do you want my Bentley, you just tell them, well, Scott's got need of it. And they'll just hand you the keys, right? They'll, they'll look like you like you're nuts. Okay? Little different situation going on here is Jesus is foretelling them of these events to take place. And Jesus isn't asking for a Bentley or a Ferrari. He's asking for the Pinto. Now, how many of you know what a Pinto is? All right, a few folks. Okay. And I'm noticing some, you know, younger youths now. Okay. The Gremlins. Okay. That, that's a, yeah, oh, come on now. Yeah. So that's fun times. Yeah. 70s. I think, I think all car manufacturers in the 70s have struggled a little bit, but that's okay. But um, as you see this, you see this wonderful um, passage unfolding. Jesus is, is grabbing a hold of a donkey and a colt. And he's going to ride upon this unbroken colt and enter into Jerusalem. And this wasn't out of character for the day and age. There, the, back in that society, people were way more willing to share their possessions and their things with others. And there was a code of, of hospitality back in those days. And so it wasn't that this was way out of left field for the disciples to ask this. It was unique and it was beautiful, but it was awesome is Jesus is telling them this is how it's going to go down. And it happened exactly like that. <coughs> Jesus established himself not only as the greatest prophet, but also the fulfillment of the prophecies. Why an unbroken cult? I mean, come on now. If the king is going to enter into Jerusalem and be the conquering king, you would expect him to ride something a little bit more grand. White stallion, you know, this big war type horse, you know, or, or you know, he's going to come in and people, when they see this horse and him riding upon it, are going to fear and trembling. But Jesus comes in on a colt, a donkey. Well, there's a, there's a reference here to the Old Testament. There's imagery that the people should have caught. Jesus isn't coming in on a stallion. He's coming in on a colt, a donkey, this unbroken animal. And in and, and times of peace, that's what they wrote. It's a stark contrast to the situation because you're thinking, how is there peace? The Jews are being, I mean, are oppressed. The Israelites are oppressed by this Roman government, this Roman regime. And here Jesus is, he's coming, walking in, right, excuse me, riding in on a colt that was representative of peace. How can there be peace in this time? And what's also amazing is he's riding upon an animal that had never been ridden. Now, how many of you ever broken a horse or ridden in an animal that hadn't, okay? How does that go? No, you get on them, and what do they want to do? They don't want you there. They, they want you off, immediately <laughs> off. They have to be broken in, in however many different ways. But Jesus gets upon this animal that had never been ridden. They place their garments upon it. Jesus sets upon it, and this animal doesn't buck him off. He peacefully ridden into Jerusalem. Jesus is showing his, once again, power and authority to bring peace to a situation where there shouldn't be peace. The folks who come and to gather and to see this strange possession and to proclaim this man who had just risen Lazarus from the dead, a man who had been dead four days, they come and they're singing praises and they're taking their garments and their jackets and they're throwing them in the roadway. Now, before you read this text, it says, you know, their clothes are throwing in the roadway. Before you worry about that people were running around naked praising Jesus, that there was outer garments. And what's being described there is an outer garment. So be like me taking off my jacket here, right? And, and as, they, as they're approaching the roadway, they would take their jackets, their outer garments, and they would throw them in the roadway and lay them down before Jesus. Now, you're like, why in the world would they do that? Don't they know when that colt, I mean, that donkey could walk across that and leave a little present right there in the middle of it as it walked across? I mean, why would you throw your garments down like that? 
Well, see, as the people were throwing their garments down, it was representation of them and their kneeling down and bowing before this king. It was representing saying, you are the king and we are underneath your authority. And it's this visual representation. And then after that, they took and went and cut down palms. Now, these are, these are some small ones, okay? But, and they laid them in the roadway. And they laid them as well in the roadway before Jesus. And as he went forward and he threw that they were put down and he walked upon them. And again, demonstrating that they were recognizing that this man who was coming is kingly. His king's authority. And they are extremely excited for the king to come. Spreading their garments. Spreading the palms. And we read about this in, in, in a book called First Maccabees. I'm going to pick this up before my wife gives me a hard time. Okay. And, and a book called, it a, it's a book in the, it's, it's an old book, but Maccabees is where you find the research and the resources for this to understand what's going on here. Basically, these people were recognizing the king has come. <laughs> Prophecies were being fulfilled. The king is marching in or is coming in on a donkey and they are worshiping in him and they were praising him and they are getting very excited for what they thought he was about to do. They had a mission and a purpose for this king, and they had a thought process of what he had come to do. And in fact, they also recognized that he was the promised one, and he was the one that they thought they needed to have come at this time, and they sing these praises to Zim. Now, how many, we sang Hosanna this morning, I'm not going to ask by a show of hands, but a lot of us sing these songs and we don't know what that word means. But Hosanna means, deliver us. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's like hallelujah. Hallelujah means praise God. It's an imperative. It's a command. And Hosanna says, deliver us. Take us up. Deliver us from this oppression. And who do they say to? The son of David. Now, this is just rich in tradition and history and and, and what's going on here. You see, King David was a king in the Old Testament. One of the most prominent kings. He was the first king to unite all of Israel and bring all the tribes together. United with one king. He fought a lot of fights. He was, he was a godly man and he was a big time sinner all at the same time. Isn't it beautiful that we can be godly people and still struggle with sin because of the grace of God? Amen? Amen. So David had these struggles. Well, David was called a man after a God's own heart. And God told David, I am going to grant you in the, your line, in your lineage, a king. And there's going to be a king that comes from you whose kingdom will never, ever end. So when you hear these people yelling out, deliver us, king that was promised to King David a long time ago, and a king whose kingdom will never end, they are very excited. I mean, I don't think I could yell those things, and I won't, because I don't want to hurt anybody's eardrums, loud enough. I mean, these people were ruckus. They were excited. The years, the thousands of years that they'd been under oppression was about to end. And they were seeing this, that we're going to be delivered from all of these people who've come in and conquered us. And come in and conquered us. And come in and conquered us. We've been a conquered people for so long. We want to live the promises of God. We want the land. We want all the things that God has promised us. We're tired of this oppression. We're tired of being cheated and swindled by these foreign governments. We're tired of being limited in our worship of God. We're tired of, of having our land taken from us. We're, having, we're tired of going up to the tax collector and thinking we're going to pay this much tax and ending paying this much tax. There's some similarities between America and back then, but we won't go there. All right. Tax time, right? Amen. All right. So as you see this going on and you see this taking place, You see the excitement of the people as they are looking to the one who is going to save them. 
They also go on and say, blessed is the one coming in the name of the Lord. During the time of, there were celebration times in the Old Testament feasts that God had established them to observe. And different events that they would, and what they would do is they'd come to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts. And the king, during that time, would lead the procession to the temple and they would sing these psalms, these psalms out of Psalm 118, and they'd sing these choruses together and it would be a very worshipful and a very powerful time. Well, the priest would bless the king with this blessing, blessed is the one coming in the name of the Lord. It was a priestly blessing upon the king. Well, when they're saying this to Jesus, they're blessing Jesus as the one who is coming from the very throne of God to deliver his people. Hosanna in the highest, the one who delivers, the one who is above all the names, the one who is above all kings, has brought us the deliverer. Now, come on. Fulfillment of prophecy, all of these things they're proclaiming as they sing and as they talk of God, and they are really excited to see the king come. This was a day they'd long waited a very, very long time. And as they're proclaiming all this and singing all this, then what in the world happens? A few days later, just a short time frame from now, Jesus, instead of them saying, Hosanna, will say, crucify him. What went wrong? I thought this was the king that that had come. I thought this was the one who fulfilled all these prophecies. Why do you have such a stark contrast of going from saying we're going to lay our garments down on the ground and you're our king and we're we're going to submit our lives to you to all of a sudden rejection, outright complete rejection. What did they miss? What happened? Where did it go wrong? Well, first, where it went wrong is they were looking for a king. But what kind of king? They, they weren't a conquering king. They wanted a king who was going to relieve them and deliver them out of this time of oppression. They wanted a political king. They wanted someone to establish authority and reign, to fight their fights for them, to deliver them from enemies, to keep the enemy at bay, and to establish a kingdom where in which no one else would ever conquer them again. But they didn't want a king to rule their heart. They didn't want a king to bring them inner peace, a peace with God. They wanted a king that would bring them peace with mankind. But Jesus Christ and God the Father in his infinite, perfect wisdom knew that there could never be external peace with other peoples and within marriages, within churches, within governments. There can't be that kind of peace until Jesus came in and brings peace to the heart. They were looking for this king to establish a political reign. And brothers and sisters, I think as we think about it this morning and dwell upon it, we're still struggling with a wrong kind of king perspective. And I think the greatest example of that is our current political situation. America is petrified. America is terrified right now. And what's sad to say, so are Christians. We're terrified of who is going to be the next president of our United States of America. And one of the reasons we're so terrified is because we as Christians have adopted the world's concept of the president, that he's our king. The man, woman who next sits in the president's seat is not our king. We have one king, and that is Jesus Christ. We don't look to presidential nominees for hope and for peace and for, for, we don't look to them for that. We look to Jesus Christ for those things. Now, 
you better vote according to morality and your conscience. And that's going to be a, boy, that's going to be a tough one this time around. I ain't going to lie. But you know what? You still got to vote. God has given you these freedoms. You still got to exercise that. God gave these to us. These are God-given rights to us, and we need to exercise those rights. So I'm not relieving you of your duty and obligation to be American citizens where God has placed you. But what I am saying is, as you vote, you're not voting for your king. You're not going to go into the booth and go, I'm putting my trust in this person to save me. No, that person has already come. But so many times we, we go back to it, we're like the Israelites, where here we are celebrating, we're singing these songs, but yet in our hearts, we don't want Jesus Christ to fully reign in our hearts and in our lives. We, we, we still have areas where in which we like to control. We, we stiff-arm God, we, we push God away. Areas where there's unforgiveness, areas where, where we have got idolatry, where we worship things other than God that has taken place on the throne of our heart. It's not Jesus. What kind of king did they welcome? What kind of king do we welcome? You see, Christ came so that we might have a heart that is brought to surrender to him and that is at peace with him. So when the kingdom comes, when Revelation 19, you want a fun passage of scripture, read Revelation 19. I love Revelation 19. Revelation 19 describes the conquering king coming, seated upon this big white horse. Jesus got eyes of flames of fire and a sword coming out of his mouth. His robe is dripped in blood. He's got a tattoo down his side on his leg. I know, you don't like telling me, but it says there's an inscription which no one can read on his leg. And he's come to whoop tail. He's come to wipe nations out. All those that have refused to follow him will be devastated and destroyed. And his eternal kingdom will be established forever. But the kingdom is partially realized right now as Christ reigns in our hearts and brings peace to our hearts right now. What do they want deliverance from is the second thing that I think that they missed. They wanted deliverance from a a people who persecuted them, a people who beat them down, abused them, mistreated them, it kept them from experiencing what they considered to be the full abundant relationship with God because they equated their relationship with God to a political entity where they just have the land that was promised to them. When they just have all the pieces that were promised to them, they would be happy. But the problem is Christ knows you've had that before. You walked into the promised land and you could have had it all, but instead you failed to conquer the people you were supposed to fail. They then turned and had influence upon you. And then if you ever read the book of Judges, it's all about a people who disobey God. God sends in an army or people to to conquer them. God rises up a judge because they cry out to God. God rises up a judge and the judge drives out the people. And this happens over and over and over and over again in the book of Judges. It's kind of a depressing book. Okay. But I'm telling you what, at the end of Judges, you're going, man, the judges aren't working out for him. And then they say, okay, we don't need judges anymore. Now we need kings. And if you read through First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, you're going to see all the myriad of kings that Israel and, and Judah got to have, right? And that didn't work out very well for him either. Because there was only one king that they're supposed to obey. There was only one king that can bring peace to people's hearts. And they needed deliverance from a wicked and broken heart goes all the way back to the fall in Genesis chapter 3. 
Adam and Eve rebelled and sinned against God. And from that point forward, all of mankind has been born with a heart that is in rebellion against God. And the only way for man to draw close to God is for them to recognize that Jesus is the King, the promised one of God, and trust in him as their Savior and ask him to take care of all of their sin and all of their brokenness, knowing that there's nothing we can do to ever earn that right relationship with God, to be able to earn that position in the kingdom of God and to have peace with God. But I think we're still struggling as a people. We are still struggling to this day. What do we want deliverance from this morning? If we were to go around this morning, this room, and we are honestly to just reflect what's in our heart. What is in your heart? What is it that, that you want deliverance from? You want deliverance from a bad job. You want a deliverance from a, from a bad mar- a relationship. You want a rela- deliverance from, you know, different things that are going on in your life. And you, what you don't understand is that the thing you need most deliverance from is your own broken, selfish, sinful heart. And that's what Jesus Christ came is to give us deliverance from our own brokenness so that we can have peace with God. Because the amazing thing is, as Jesus Christ rides an unbroken colt, a symbol of peace into a time frame that had that did not know external peace. But Jesus, by this beautiful symbol, says that in no matter what you're facing today, no matter what your circumstance, no matter what your situation, whether you're grieving, whether you're suffering, whether you're rejoicing, that no matter what's going on in your life right now, you can have peace in your heart because of Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter what you're going through. In the midst of this, Jesus is coming and bringing peace to a people who did not want the peace that Jesus tried to offer. Thus they said, crucify him. Where is it in your life this morning that you're denying the peace of God? You see, the uncommon king the king who had every right and every reason to ride in and condemn the world to hell. The uncommon king who, who, who was perfect in every way, without sin, who's the very son of God, was very God. He came down, this uncommon king rode humbly, gently, meekly into Jerusalem, providing peace, making it possible so that we can have a relationship with the Almighty God. He humbly comes in, and he goes to the cross, and he becomes our sin. And on the third day, he rises again, demonstrating the work of God, the salvific work of God was complete. And we can have peace no matter what situation we find ourselves in this morning but most oftentimes we don't have peace in our hearts because we are keeping god out of them he is not king we come to sunday gatherings we we talk about god during the weeks or but as we come and we we're, we're always there's this, this hesitancy in our hearts to fully expose our heart to god and that we're fearful because we've been hurt before, we've had other people hurt us, that when we expose our heart, that it's, it's scary. But let me tell you something. The conquering king, the one who came and he brought peace to us, he conquered sin and death for us, he is faithful and he is trustworthy. And you can open your heart completely and fully to him. And he will take care of your heart 
like no one else. He'll take much better care of your heart than you or I will. We think we can manage our own hearts pretty well. I'm going to take care of my heart. God, I appreciate the effort. A plus on the effort, God. Bam, that's, that's, that's a lot of great things you've done for me. But really, when it comes to my heart, I've got a better plan. I, I've, got a better, I've got a better way. Of, 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 I've got this great box that I, I've got for my heart. It's padded. It's comforted. It's kept at a certain temperature all the time. And, and, and I'm going to take great care of my own heart. And as I'm saying that, you're like, that sounds ridiculous, right? But isn't that exactly what we do to God? When we don't let him be the king and authority and reign in our heart and life, and we continue to keep parts of our heart away from him, and we don't get to have peace, and then we get mad because we don't have peace. Then we get angry. Why don't I have peace? Well, have you heard yourself yet? Christ came to bring us peace. The Israelites missed it. In a big way. They were really excited because they had a purpose and a plan for a king. And as soon as Jesus didn't meet their purpose and plan, they rejected him. Are we rejecting Christ? By keeping him from reigning in our hearts and lives. Maybe you're here this morning. And you know of God. You talk about being a Christian, knowing the big guy in the sky. But it's, it's this knowledge up here. Maybe you've got some understanding. Maybe you've even gotten Bible education. You know, there are seminary professors in our seminaries today that are not children of God. Because Christ is not their king. There are pastors that will take the pulpit this morning who are not children of God. There are chaplains that serve in the military that are not children of God because they have gained a knowledge and a perspective of God and they've shaped and created a God that fits what they think God should be, like the Israelites praising here think God should be. But instead of surrendering to Christ, and asking him to be our king and our Lord. We've got a God that is not the one true God. And let me challenge you here this morning. This is a place for us to be broken. This is a place for us to weep and mourn. This is a safe place for us to say, I've had a messed up view of God. I've had a wrong understanding of who God is for so long and I have not felt the peace of God and I have not known what it is to be comforted by God. I do not know what it is for for God to reign in my life and I want to surrender my life this morning and I want this morning to be the morning where in which I say I'm done trying to be my own king. I'm done trying to shape God into what I want him to be and I surrender my life to the king who has come to bring peace to my heart. And it's okay to do that. It is so okay to do that. It is so okay to say, I've, got, I've had a misconception of who God is. Drop and let go of it. Jesus Christ has come. And what's the saddest thing is the Israelites missed it at this time. Let's stop missing it. Let's stop holding on to this false God that fits what we want, but isn't the true, true king, the true king that can come and bring peace. And let's surrender our lives this morning to him. And for those of us who have surrendered our lives, what area of your life this morning 
that you are keeping at bay from God? Where do you have pockets of idolatry in your life where, where you're putting something on the throne, but, but it's not God? This, um, yesterday, we got to be a part of something that was pretty amazing. Um, on Friday, we had some friends contact us that their daughter is going to go off and be in the Air Force. Should have got a hold of her sooner. Could have gotten her in the Army. But um, headed off to the Air Force. She left at 4 a.m. this morning to go into the Air Force. And so they asked that Christy and I would um, come and, and we get together and we pray over her before she headed out. Well, it's this. God's timing is just hysterical. I love God's timing. His plan is so beautiful that, that Jeff would be here this weekend, Air Force chaplain, to speak into, use their weird terminology. Battle buddy becomes wingman. I'm just, <laughs> just saying, you know. Um, but to, for us to sit down and to pray over her, and it was really cool as we were all kind of sharing and talking with her and, and, and asking her what she would like to have prayer for. But what was so awesome is that Christy could talk to her, Jeff could talk to her, I could talk to her about, you're going to go through hard times. Because when you go through basic training, it doesn't matter, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, it doesn't matter, Coast Guard, they're going to get, they got to break you down because they got to change you from being a civilian to being a military personnel. And, and so they're going to break you down. You could do the most perfect thing in the world, and it's going to stink, okay? And they're going to tell you it stinks, and not nice words either, okay? And they're gonna, it's, it's horrible, and they're going to break you down, Okay? And it's okay that they do that. It's not hazing. It's, it's good military training, okay? Just good military training. And, and she's sitting there talking about, you know, what's going to be like to go through that. But it was so cool. Is even in those moments where she's scared, even in those moments where she's going to get depressed because she feels like she can't do anything right, even in those moments where her friends are, like, mad at her because you, you don't get your bunk right, everybody pays the price. That even in those moments, because of Jesus Christ, she can have peace. As she's getting screamed at by her TIs. TI. As she's getting screamed at by her TI, she can know in her heart of hearts, Lord, you're with me. You've gone before me. And I can trust in you and have peace. See, that's what it looks like for the king to come. And when the king came and his kingdom being present means that you and I get the wonderful enjoyment of having peace in our hearts and our lives. No matter what situation and circumstance we find ourselves in. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for this incredible morning. This chance to celebrate Palm Sunday, and, and for us to properly and appropriately proclaim Hosanna. For us to, when we say deliver us, we can say that with such great enthusiasm and excitement because we recognize, Lord, you have delivered us. You have delivered us from the bondage of sin, the bondage of death, and that we are forever yours, and that we have life eternal to live, and we are excited to sing these praises to you. Yet, Lord, as we still struggle. We still fall short. We still do things that keep us from having that close and intimate and full peace that you offer to us. And Lord, this morning we desire to lay those things down. 
We desire to worship the one true king and proclaim who he is. Not, not who we think he should be, but who he truly is. And he has every right and every authority to claim our hearts fully for him. And Lord, we recognize that we are in the, a process of surrendering our hearts to him, that it's a daily thing, and it's not just something that we arrive to, and we'll, we'll spend the rest of our lives learning what it is for Christ to invade every area of our hearts. But Lord, let us not hinder that journey. Let us not stand in the way of the Holy Spirit's work convicting us that we might know peace and enjoy these moments with God, no matter what the circumstance and situation is, because our King is seated upon the throne of our heart. In Jesus' most holy and wonderful name we pray, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we, as we move into a time to respond this morning, I... Uh, it's funny, I, I get to live this out, this response of this thought of like, how am I stiff arming God? And as I think about it, I think about this process of having my son enter into my home and into my life of uh, not being the greatest dad um, and completely falling short and failing him so many times. Like I get a chance now just to like allow God to take that relationship and <laughs> I hear my pastor talk about this response and it's, I'm so fearful and I just, I can't, I I just know that I need him at this time. And so I just want to challenge each and every one of you guys this morning. This morning as we... Father God, Lord, I just want to thank you so much for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives and your convicting work and that conviction doesn't need to bring to despair because you're in the business of redeeming us and making us new. And Lord, we just pray redemption over Jeffrey and Jeffrey's relationship and Jeffrey's heart as he's been broken over his own um, failures and sin. But Lord, you are in the business of taking our failures and making them for our benefit, not for just Jeffrey's benefit, but it's for all of our benefit in this room. As we watch Jeffrey and Jeffrey draw close together and, and work through some things, that we get to benefit from that and pray for them and to lift them up, but also to learn from what you're doing in their lives. We thank you for this opportunity. Lord God, we thank you so much for what you're teaching us about who you are in the midst of these circumstances. And I pray that your peace would powerfully reign in their hearts. As Jeffrey so desires to have you be upon the throne of his heart and, and leading this relationship. Thank you, Father God. In Jesus' most holy and wonderful name we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So a, uh, I'm going to give I you... Have all, I, have I, I know. <laughs> you good now? I'm good. You, you sure? Okay. I've been wanting to do this part of the service for a while. I've been bugging Glenn and... I just, man, this morning, I'm so sorry. Uh, but we're going to, uh, this is our time to respond. And we're going to do that through singing. We're going to do that uh, through taking of communion um, throughout this time. Whenever you feel called or led to take communion, you can. And then 
also through giving. And if you're a guest here today, we ask that you, unless you feel called to give, you can. But we really, it's for it's for the people that call this home and come. Uh, so if you're a guest, you can just let the the buckets pass by. And so with that, let me pray. Father, I just I thank you that you can reign in our lives, Lord. I just pray that as we have this opportunity to respond to this message this morning, that if there's something that we need to give up, Lord, that we can just hand it off to you. Just be with us, be with us at this time. It's in your son's name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.